Well, hello, New Life Manitou. Hello, I'm glad to see all of you this morning. For those of you who might be new or don't know, my name's Brett. I am a pastor with New Life. I'm not the pastor of New Life Manitou. Joe Kirkendall and his bride, Erica, are leading a team in, uh, in Alaska in, over the next, uh, I think, 10 days or so, plus or minus. Give me some wiggle room there. And so, um, so you got me for this week and next week. And so we're going to have some fun as we continue. Whoa, yay. It was oddly self-serving. Um, and so we're uh, continuing uh, in, the, in our How Do I series um, where we're approaching the book of Proverbs with some of our most burning questions and we're seeing what kind of wisdom it offers us. And today we're wrestling with one particular question. We're wrestling with the question, how do I raise children? How do I raise children? That is a question burning with particular intensity for some of us in the room who are in the thick of it, who have small humans running around underneath our roofs. Um, but just a couple of things before we get started um, and read our one proverb for the day. Um, number one, we want to uh, mention that this, uh, number one, I have no particular expertise in this. I'm just somebody who's been like nerding out on the Bible for about the last 15 years or so. <laughs> it's like, that's my, if I have one thing that I'm like focused on, it's that. And so I'm just bringing that uh, to parenting this morning. Uh, we have a five-year-old and a four-year-old, but we do not have, we are learning it along with you guys. And for some of you in the room, you are way past five and four. And um, so you, you're like, man, what could this girl teach me? And so um, we're all in this together. And so I'm just one member of the body learning along with all of you in a lot of ways. Um, the second thing I want to say is that this is um, ultimately a, a talk, a sermon, about um, it's about more than just being a biological parent. Um, some of us, I know that this touches like deep things in some of us, um, but we, this is ultimately a sermon, a talk about being human. Is so there's something for all of us here, no matter where we are along the journey. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to make that promise to you as well. And so, uh, Jesus, as we come to uh, this question that raises so much in some of us and um, is so pressing for some of us and fills some of us with um, deep regret um, and some of us with deep fear, we ask that you would come and preach gospel to us this morning, that you would come and speak life to us. We don't want to listen to some joker come up here and just talk um, about platitudes. We want to hear the spirit of God promising us life from the dead. And so do it. Do it this morning, we ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So we're going to be, as promised, we'll be looking at one proverb this morning. It is a familiar proverb to a lot of us. I've got a familiar version of it up here on the screen. Uh, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. 
It's a pretty familiar proverb to a lot of us. Many of us have heard this saying so much um, that it almost doesn't mean anything at this point. Let's get real. I don't know what to do in this moment unless I'm being real. Um, It's become like spiritual elevator music to most of us. It's like a, a holy hallmark card saying or something. You know, it's there, it's written, but it doesn't really mean much. And so that seems like a really good place for us to dig in and help us remind us, in case we've forgotten over the course of this series, what the Proverbs are. First, we've said a a few weeks ago as we were beginning that the Proverbs are patterns, not promises. That's the very first thing we want to remind ourselves. It's really damaging, and some of you have experienced this with this spiritual elevator music. When we read the Proverbs, like this one, as like ironclad guarantees, the, that like I, uh, that like the Proverbs are, they are articulating what usually happens in God's stable creation that includes cause and effect is what the Proverbs are doing. Usually when someone works hard, the Proverbs says, they can build wealth. Usually. But sometimes the pattern doesn't hold. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes and Job are about. Um, usually when, the evil, when evil people dig a hole to try to trap people along the way, they end up falling in it themselves. But not always. <laughs> not always. Sometimes Thanos wins, you know, in our experience. Sometimes, sometimes the bad guy wins and, and the evil prosper. And this is the question of many of the Psalms. Why are the wicked prospering? Many of us have heard this proverb taught as like that there's some sort of like way to ironclad guarantee that if we front load enough work into years zero through umpteen of our children, then our children are going to go on and make all the right decisions. But that's not the way the Proverbs work. They're, uh, they're, they're patterns, they're not promises, and that's, uh, they're also, we could say it this way, in large degree, they don't work that way because the Proverbs are poetry, not prose. And this is, this is going to open up all kinds of wisdom for us this morning. The longer I study scripture, the more I keep realizing how genius it is. Um, do you know who most of us think? Do you know who most of us think wrote the book of Proverbs? Captain Obvious. If we got really honest about it. I'm somebody who thought this for a really long time. Uh, I thought I would read many of them. Like Proverbs 14, 12. It's not up there. It's not going to be, it's not a slide, Chloe. But Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And I think... No, duh. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. We go the wrong way. Thanks for the advice, Captain. I'm really grateful for you pointing out the obvious to us. That sometimes we go the wrong way and we don't know it. But we need to remind ourselves again and again and again that the Bible's smarter than us. The Bible, Captain Obvious did not write the Proverbs. In fact, I'm almost certain, I would go out on a limb and say that we are, you're not, I'm not, We are not getting, getting the Proverbs the first time we read them. We're not. We're not. The Proverbs are micro poems. They're micro poems. They are 
provocative. They are often full of like ambiguous poetry and it's usually two lines is what we said in the first couple of weeks as we were beginning. And it's the space, I said the, <laughs> somebody's, people have been making fun of me for this, but it's in these two lines and in the space between these two lines and the tension between these two lines. That's like, like where the magic happens. That's where the portal forms. That's where wisdom gets formed in us. It, the, the Proverbs are trying to get us to meditate on, to think about, to sit, to camp out in the tension between two lines. And so we mentioned as we began this series uh, that uh, comparing between English translations is actually a really good way um, to help us get a sense of like, oh, this is poetry. Oh, these lines can be interpreted in many different ways. And so let's do that this morning. I actually have already done the homework, but I'd like to put another translation of this proverb up on the screen. It says, this is the Lexham English Bible. It's wonderful. Logos Bible Software, the scholars with that have actually put this translation together. It's available online. It's wonderful. It says, train the child concerning his way. Even when he is old, he will not stray from it. That's a little different. Two lines, and I want us to sit in the space between them. And so we're going to take just a handful of minutes and explore each line, and the, and the space between them should become clearer, and that's going to lead us to the table. And so we have a beginning and an ending in this proverb. You can, actually, uh, you can go ahead and leave the, the scripture up for just a second if you want, Chloe. Um, we have a beginning and an ending. You have someone young, a na'ar, a youth of some sort, and then you have someone who is zakain, someone who is old. The first line is telling us something that we must do, right? We must do. We do do it, actually, I would argue. And then the second line is saying something that they will not do, right? We train. We must train. We do train. And they will not stray. The verb that begins this, and you can, at this point, it can drift off the screen at any point. I'm just micromanaging the, the slides from up here. Don't mind me, I'm not a control freak. <laughs> the, all right, back. The, the verb that begins this proverb is actually a super duper unique verb in, uh, in all of the Hebrew scriptures. It's only used in three other verses in the entire Hebrew Bible. It is the verb hanach. Hanach is, don't mind me. Uh, in those verses, those other three verses where hanach shows up, it is um, talking about beginning to use a building. Is what it's like two of them are actually talking about the dedication of the temple is what it's talking about. And when we think about dedicating something, that's not a word we use very much, is it? Not in like common English. I mean, we might think about like dedicating a child up here, but then it's like a once and done kind of thing in a, in a churchy way. But then uh, the only other times I could think of is like taking the bottle of champagne for whatever absurd reason we take and we throw it against the side of a yacht. And you guys have seen this, right? You're like dedicating the, the boat or like the giant scissors that they have at the beginning of like my, my, my twin brother. I have a twin brother, if you didn't know, we don't look alike. But um, he's up in Portland and he's a Chick-fil-A operator. And I remember seeing uh, these photos a few years ago of when they had the giant scissors and the giant red ribbon and they were, 
or a dedicating or opening or something with this building and you, you know, cut, the, cut the ribbon and then they all take a picture. Ah, it's not a very flattering picture of everybody like eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich for whatever reason. Um, that's what we typically think about when we think about like dedicating something, right? And even in this proverb, we think train up is like something you do at the very beginning and it's like a kind of once and a done thing. Um, but uh, it, w- the more accurate way of understanding this verb is less like cutting a red ribbon in front of a Chick-fil-A, and it's actually more like the moment where you drop the chicken in the, it's not, it's not frozen at Chick-fil-A, by the way, um, it's, it's fresh, <laughs> where you, you drop, oh, it might be frozen, I don't know, I'm telling tales now, I'm getting out of my realm of expertise, like parenting, uh, where... <laughs> It's less like cutting the ribbon at the Chick-fil-A and it's more like the moment where you drop the chicken into the fryer at the Chick-fil-A. That's what Hanak is. Hanak is when something, a place, starts doing what it was made for. Okay? That's what worship starts happening in the temple. People in another place, it's in Samuel, I think. uh, People start living in a house and making it a home. Those are the other uses of this verb. Chicken starts getting fried, sandwiches being made. The building isn't just a building more. It's actually like a Chick-fil-A. It's actually doing what it was made to do. But here's the thing with a proverb like this. Kids do not come out preloaded knowing what life is made for, right? They don't know. They don't know. And so when do they start learning what life is supposed to be? Well, they are all, when, when are they trained up in what life is supposed to be? The answer is they are always being trained up, even when we are not training them. They are always learning. We could say it this way. As, as, we rest, as I wrestle with the first line of this micro poem and ask, how do I raise my children? I hear my heart is provoked to two words, pay attention. Pay attention, because they're learning. They're watching from you Every, everything is training them up and teaching them what life, what they are meant to be doing. We give our focus and our attention to the things that matter most. We do. Look at where you're showing, giving your attention and you will find out what matters most to you. Whether it's our fantasy football team, whether it's the details of that project at work because we want to climb the ladder, whether it's like the food that we're putting into our body and that we're like really like concerned about it, whether it's the, our theories about the Marvel universe and like what's going to happen after Loki because apparently there's an ultimate, no, I don't want to, there's, there's some sort of war brewing. Uh, I don't want to say too much, but spoiler alert, for, so sorry. Um, but we give a profound, now you just learned what I give my attention to, profound attention to the things that matter most. And I'm here to tell you, just in case you need reminding, children matter. Children matter. And we must give our attention. They require our attention because every, this first line, everything that we are doing is teaching them it's an interpretation to say the way they should go. It just literally says, like the Lexum says, his way. 
Everything we're doing is teaching them their way. That's what the proverb says. My little girls are five and four, as I've already mentioned, and they arrived with no preloaded conceptions about what their lives should be. And man, oh man, right now, they are like sponges soaking up everything that Joy and I do. They, like every, th- every tone we have, every gesture we make, if we say, if, if, if we say a, like more colorful language, and, and no one in the room would ever do that. But like, that we, like, we have to, and I'm not talking about real like, colorful language, but we crap or something, you know, all of a sudden they're here in the back of the room, so don't say that. Um, but like they will repeat it, like every decision, everything we do, how we treat our bodies, what we put in our mouth, whether exercise is an important thing, how, how, how do we spend our attention, is reading an important thing? Everything that we are doing is training them up concerning their way. And it's less like, let me tell you what to do, and more like monkey see, monkey do. (laughs) It's more what it's like. They're learning please and thank you because they're hearing please and thank you. (laughs) Joy and I are trying really hard to like, even when we're asking them to, please do that. They are learning that what is important and how they should be behaving, and what life is about, and how, how to think about other people in the world, how to think about themselves in the world. They are learning it all the time right before our eyes. We're training them up in the way, in their way. Not the way they should go, but in the way they're going to go. And so I jolly well better make sure that I'm giving my full attention to it. Pay attention because my habits are shaping another's heart. My ways are actually steering another's will is actually what's happening. Like they notice when um, when I look at this more than I'm looking at them. They notice and it's shaping their heart. It's telling them what kind of value they have and what I value. Like my attention or my lack thereof is shaping their heart. They are learning what I value. They soak up. I try to make a practice when I wrong them, because I do frequently. Um, When I wrong them, I try to get down on their level and I try to look them in the eyes and I try to repent before them. I try to apologize. I try to say like, and that is shaping their, my way is shaping their will. They are learning I want to be a kind of person who apologizes. They're learning that they have dignity and value by, what I'm, by the fact that I will apologize to them. And eventually it's going to steer their will. They're learning that it is right to repent when you've done something wrong. That's the right thing to do. And that they, they want to be the kind of person who clears the air, who, who owns their stuff so that they can continue to have honest, real relationships. And by God's grace, I pray that, that this is actually going to shape their will in like what kind of friends they choose. And in what kind of like romances they get involved in. Like that they're not going to put up with somebody who doesn't like treat them with this dignity and respect. With all our habits and all our ways, we are shaping and steering the hearts and wills of those around us. And this is not just true for parents. 
This isn't just true. My girls happen to be in a particularly like powerful, significant phase because of their age that they're being shaped. But our habits, our habits are always shaping every heart around us for good and for ill, from, from our spouse to our coworkers to the barista at the coffee shop that you just treated with dignity or you just completely ignored and treated like trash, from our toddlers to our teenagers to our adult children in another state. Every decision we're making, the habits that all of our lives, our way in the world, we are steering other people's wills We're guiding them and we're shaping their hearts with the way we talk, with our acts of cruelty or kindness, with every move we make, we are actually influencing um, each other. We could actually say, we should name it, we're creating culture around us, is what we're doing. We're creating culture around us for good and for ill. God has created us in such a way that none of us are an island to ourselves. We are slowly transforming those around us. And we are being transformed by the people who we are around. We're being transformed by them. And that's why it's so important to be a part of a healthy church. That's why it's so important that who you are surrounding yourself with, who I'm surrounding myself with, that I'm surrounding myself with people who build me up, people who will hold me accountable when I'm a blockhead, someone who will hold me up when my life is falling apart, who will make me better by continuing to point me to Jesus. Like we are all always being shaped by everyone around us. We're all parenting each other all the time, whether we realize it or not. So pay attention, pay attention. It's worth reminding ourselves as parents on a really practical level, by the way, in case you're wanting it, that um, it's been long recognized in business cultures that what's rewarded gets repeated in case you need that to ingrain that in your head. Like Joy and I are really aware that like we want to lavish positive feedback on our children. We want like all the time and on those around us, like that we're in French. Like if you like something, tell people that you like it. But like whatever we can with the girls, thank you for clearing your plate from the table. Thank you for throwing that in the trash. Thank you for thinking of your sister. Thank you for being a friend to that new girl at gymnastics. We saw you do that, Daphne. Thank you. Uh, Some seasons are easier to do that than others. (laughs) Like it's sometimes it's hard to find like the praiseworthy thing. Um, But with everything we're doing, we're trying to say, I see you. I see you. I value you. I love you. And you're not crazy in what you did right there. That is the kind of life that is worth living. Because it's really easy to slip into like trying to point out all the things that we don't want our kids to be doing, like pointing out like all the bad behavior, trying to de-weed like all the dandelions of bad behavior that are popping up. But did you know, I'm working on my lawn right now. Did you know what the, um, what the best way to combat dandelions actually is? It's to cultivate a healthy lawn. That's actually the best way. It's slower work. 
it's it's way more work. You gotta give it a lot of attention, but eventually healthy grass takes over and it squeezes out the weeds. It crushes the dandelions. Something's gonna grow in the soil. Something's gonna grow in the soil and so make sure it's good grass. It's gonna take root. And that brings us to the second half of this proverb and ultimately to the table because once something has grown, it's very difficult to ungrow it is what the proverb is saying. When the youth is zakain, when they are old, the word is used about Sarah in Genesis 18, when she laughs and she says, shall I, shall I bear a child now that I am zakain? It's used about Isaac right before he's deceived by his brother, by his uh, children, by twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, or just Jacob about Esau. In Genesis 27, when it says, Isaac was zakain, his eyes had grown dim. When a child grows old, they get set in their ways. It's happened to all of us, and it is happening to all of us, isn't it? That, like, we all get hardened and calcified and crusty and, like, set in our ways. You remember what they say about a Zakain dog, don't you? You can't teach a Zakain, a Zakain dog new tricks. That's right. That's what the Proverbs is naming that pattern, is right here, is actually, it's actually equal parts hopeful, which is what we emphasize most of the time, set the child on his way, but it's also cautionary. We can paraphrase the proverb this way. We are sculpting a childhood cement that becomes adult concrete. That's what we're doing. We're sculpting childhood cement that eventually becomes adult concrete. Ways don't change easily when we are old. They're hard to stray from, to depart, to leave. Wisdom wants us as parents to be careful, pay attention, because we all leave childhood and none of us leave our childhood. For good and for ill, our childhood stays with us. We can't quit it. We all know this. Every single one of us is growing older on the outside, and yet we're all still the same nervous, curious kid on the inside. We remember that wound. that sh We were shaped by what happened back there. We're trying to get the attention that we didn't get back there. We're trying to please the parent that we couldn't please. We're trying to feel safety and security that we didn't feel. We can't we can't quit our childhoods. They're, they're with us. That's the tension actually built in to this proverb. That's the space. We can't quit our childhoods. Proverbs is saying, pay attention to the wet cement because it's going to harden eventually and it won't be able to be changed. We've all experienced this. In, in our own lives. And emotionally healthy adults are the ones who do the long work of wrestling through our childhoods and trying to like, it's difficult to face as an adult how the, our childhoods have shaped us. But let me tell you, this is 
crushing as a parent of a five-year-old and a four-year-old. This is absolutely like staggering, the responsibility right here. I feel at times the knowledge that like this is wet, this is wet cement that will become concrete. I go into my girls' rooms, that I did it last night, while they're sleeping, and I like hold their faces while they're, while they're sleeping, and I think, I, I hope I'm doing right by you. The time is so fleeting, and I love you so much, but no matter what I do, no matter how carefully I parent, no matter how carefully I pay attention, and let's get honest, parenting is exhausting, and you're not ever on your A-game. No matter what I do, even if I could be on my A-game all the time, the concrete is going to dry in problematic ways. Like, I'm setting you on your way right now, but I'm walking a tightrope. Like, I don't want to neglect, but I also don't want to spoil. Oh my goodness, which one? I don't want to break their spirit, but they can't be breaking the furniture. Come on. Like, I, wanna, I want you to achieve your best, but, but, uh, no, but know that your value doesn't come from what you're achieving. And I know that like one way or the other, I'm going to fall off the tightrope. I just know that I'm hurting you in some sort of way, that I'm looking at my children as they're sleeping. Maybe in some big ways, I'm hurting you, and I don't even realize it. And I'll kiss their foreheads, and I'll think, I love you, with this like burning, painful love within me, and still my love isn't enough. It's not, it's not enough. And that, that moment that we feel, whether it's with our children or with our loved ones or with the world at large, where we actually feel the ache of it, that like my love isn't enough, it is actually us on the threshold of the gospel. If we, if we will just go just a little further, we are going to enter into gospel. The writer of Hebrews actually puts it this way in an encouragement to all of us as parents. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter two, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. I just need to tell you, as we're coming to the table this morning, that the Christian Bible is actually a big, long, complicated story, and it is the story of a family that ends up hurting each other, is what it is. The human family devastates each other, hates each other, kills each other. The entire story of the Bible is one of parents screwing up their kids, if you didn't know it. The primordial parents, Adam and Hava, human and life is their names. They 
set their children on the worst of trajectories into a wasteland of death. And the sons and daughters of creation are lost and dying and hopeless. But then the gospel is the good news about what God is like for every single one of us who grow up, who grow old, and it's all of us, even my dear girls who are so young right now, they will calcify and harden and in brokenness, and we cannot change our ways, but the way himself has come among us, and he promises to change us to save us, to make us all children again, is what, I don't, this is a great mystery, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now, but he promises, no, I'm serious, I don't know, it's such a profound mystery, but he promises we're all going to be children again, we're all, it's good news to every parent, it's good news to every child. It's good news to every person. And I just felt burdened to say it this morning. God is saving your children. You need to hear that. Your children are God's children. Like Jesus, God himself, shared our broken humanity to break the power of death as well as our fear of death and our fear of parenting. Since the children are broken and since the children who have had children are broken, God became broken too. And he tasted death for who? For everyone is what it says. Most of the time, the gospel is framed as good news for you. It's good news for me. And it's true. It's really good news. But, but it's also good news for my girls. It's good news for my girls. And they may not know it yet. And they may not understand it yet. And they may not believe it yet. But it's already true for them. God loves them. God is saving them. Jesus has brothered them. He's become their brother. He's shared in all of their brokenness and he will change them and he is saving them. The good news is that our children have been born into a love that they cannot wander out of. A love willing to die rather than for them to be lost. A love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that love is not ours. Parenthood is like burning leaves with a magnifying glass. I'm convinced of it. I love my children more than I can put into words. A painful, burning kind of love. I would easily die for them. Like, there was never a question about that. The burning, painful love of parenthood, though, is just catching and focusing the rays of light that it did not generate. It's catching the rays of love that did die for them. And for the joy set before him endured all things for the joy of my girls one day being whole and alive and forever children. And right now my girls are young and they haven't made like a whole lot of mistakes. They haven't big, dumb, rebellious decisions. They haven't done it. But when they do, because they will, 
because we all become prodigals at some point in our lives, they will still be surrounded by this love that would rather die than them be lost. Parents, if you've got children who have left for the far country, the father wants you to know this morning that since the children have wandered into death, God too has shared in that death. He has descended to hell, is what the creed says, and he refuses to leave without them. How do you raise your kids? Well, you pay attention, you do your best, you give it your all, it's the most important work you have. But raise your children with the knowledge that you are, you are setting their way but recognize that you're going to set them right and you're gonna set them wrong. Pay attention, but also breathe easy. Breathe easy. Parenthood is not a prison. It's not a prison you're trapped in. It, it hasn't been a bait and switch. God is telling us the kind of life that's worth living is the kind of life of burning love that you feel for your parent, for your children. And today, God wants you to know, I see you. I value you. I, I, know, I know it's scary. I know it's painful. But this, with your kids, it doesn't end in crucifixion. Easter's coming. Even now, there's joy set before you one day. And so as the band comes up, even now, even today, this is where Jesus is taking us. He's taking us to joy. And even today, Jesus is taking your children towards joy. Believe that. Keep following him. Keep repenting. Keep like, turning back to Jesus. Keep trusting him with your life, but then keep trusting him with your kids' lives too. Because our father, he's continuing to set us on the way. And in the end, we will not stray from it. It's good news.